As the great independent director, Mr. Werner Herzog, once said, I despise formal restaurants. I find all of that formality to be very base and vile. I would much rather eat potato chips on the sidewalk. Hello and welcome to Potato Chips on the Sidewalk. I'm your host, Jacob, and joining me today is... Barbecue Benjamin. Yep, yep, yep. So, 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, wrapping it up. We usually do top 20s, but uh, for time reasons, we decided just to do top 10 this year. And, like, you know, top 20 is usually hard for me just to, like, pick all the good films because that's barely scratching the surface. But, uh, yeah, just doing top 10s this year, um, just time constraints. But, yeah, I actually thought it was a really good year for film. Like, um, a, a lot of heavy hitters, actually. What did you think, Ben? I thought it was a really good year. I do want to say um, I'm looking at my list right now and it is my top 10 films of the year. Um, I feel like it's the top 10 list that everybody else has. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. Yeah, no. There's, um, there's truth in There's going to be a lot of surprising omissions from my top 10, like films that I really thought were pretty, like, safely going to be in my top 10. But, uh, yeah, it just didn't, wasn't the case. Okay, well, I'm happy that um, yours will make it at least a little bit interesting then, because <laughs> um, it is my top ten. Like I, I am going to say that, but like it is very basic. Um, but you know, I am what I am. Go, go, go. Yeah, my number ten film of 2023. Um yeah, actually, um, this is a year for blockbusters where we saw quite a lot of the quote-unquote reliable box office stuff. Okay, Disney. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of them really struggle this year, like, besides Elemental and Guns Galaxy 3. You know, Marvel stuff and Indiana Jones really struggled to hit with the audiences. Like, most of them, like, were pretty, yeah. like, if not, like, disappointing, they were pretty big flops, actually. Especially Indiana Jones, um... Yeah, but it's like, um, in lieu of that, I think we also got one of the stronger years for, like, not new voices in blockbusters, but, like, voices in blockbusters that I think are going to be, like, the new heavy hitters of that sort of era. Like, move aside Marvel, uh, let's get these people in charge of blockbusters now. Which is a roundabout way to say that number 10 for me is Godzilla Minus One. Which is, um... Yeah, just phenomenal blockbuster filmmaking through and through. Um, yeah, I mean, like, definitely the best Godzilla film since Shin Godzilla. Um, but it's also one that, um, yeah, it, it it also just really grabs you by the throat, like, the entire way through. And it just, like, doesn't, like, go throughout the entire run through. It's also just, like, a genuinely, like, devastating film as well. Like, the the human elements of monster films, but also, like, a lot of Godzilla films are criticised because, like, um, obviously you've got to see a monster film to see the monster, but, um, but, yeah, like, here it's really effective. Like, it's, um, it's certainly one of the more horrifying Godzilla films I've seen, like, obviously, like, compared to the original, um, yeah, like, a, lo- a lot of the comparisons of the original are very warranted for that reason because, like, it really is quite horrifying. 
but yeah, no, it, it, it's a fantastic blockbuster, and it like it works on pretty much every level that it's trying to work on. But yeah, no, it's um, it's everything I'm looking for in blockbuster, which is spectacle, but also like it is genuinely felt and um, and yeah, it's like genuinely really well tempered. Like um, everything really is felt in there. Like the set pieces are huge, but like they don't outstay their welcome and they don't feel like they need to be like you know the hollywood portal in the sky bullshit every time um like er- everything has a genuine weight to it and well, I- i'm not gonna say anymore it's just a fantastic film like um through and through uh yeah ben what's your number 10 nice my number 10 is david finch's the killer um i mm. really liked it upon first watching it and the more I've thought about it since has really grown on me. Um, it's funny. It's, uh, methodical. It's just, um, I think it's David Fincher just flexing. Um, it's just kind of like, you know, Mank came out and people were like, oh, you know, that was a bit whatever. And he was just kind of like, hold on, let me show you what I do. And he just, I think it's his best film, um, probably since Zodiac. Um, I really like, uh, Gone Girl and, um, G- um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but like, uh, I think it's, uh, definitely like in the top three of what he's made. Um, and I, uh, I just think it's Fincher doing something a little bit different, but also just, like showing what he's all about as a filmmaker. And it's just, um, I, I think he just uses the camera and visual effects in a way that, um, nobody around him really does. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, just piggybacking off what you said, um, cause this is my top 10 surprisingly, but I, I thought it was really good. And, um, yeah, also easily his best in Zodiac. Yeah, it's funny. Um, it captures the monotony of like the uberization of everything. Um, really well yeah. and really cleverly. Yeah, nah, just um, just a very good film actually. Um, somehow didn't make my top ten though. But anyway, Ben, what's your number nine of the hmm. year? My number nine film of the year is um, How Do You Live, aka The Boy and the Heron. Um, How Do You Live is such a better title. But, um, yes, it is. The, Absolutely. The Boy and the Heron is, um, I think, uh, just such a phenomenal um, encapsulation of Miyazaki's career um, where, like, it does, you know, like, there's, I don't know how many things have popped up on my YouTube being like, all oh, the references to um, previous Miyazaki films and The Boy and the Heron and, like, that's not what's great about it to me, but like, but like it's, it kind of takes like everything I've seen. I haven't seen all of his films, but like um, everything I've seen him do, it feels like it's been leading to something just so introspective and commenting on like, you know, like it's about like taking over the control of a creative world and, um, just like him reflecting on everything that he's done before and putting it in this magical story and, um, basing a lot of the, um, 
character drama or stuff that happened actually happened to him as a child um it it's just like you know like <laughs> the amount of times you hear like oh boy in the hair and it's a it's a great film but it's just not one of his best but <laughs> when you say it's not one of his best and it, it comes out with something like this it's yeah. um just uh showing how remarkable his career has been and um you know like uh, a lot of like the films, uh, like uh, our older filmmakers, um, have been grappling with their own um, mortality um, in interviews. So, like, it's um, again, like I-, I want them to live forever, but you know, like seeing someone come out with something like this at his age is uh, pretty astounding. And um, I think it's going to be one of those things. That I think it's going to grow in. Um, rankings in his over um as uh time goes on agreed um and yet again it, it didn't make my top 10 just just missed out um but no um absolutely agree with everything you just said nice what's your number nine yeah but um my number nine of the year is um well it wouldn't be a best of year list for me without a hong sang su film <laughs> and this year is in water which uh, just from like the outset, um, probably has one of his like most um, outward stylistic choices in quite a while, and that like most of the film is shot out of focus. Mm-hmm. Which um, I have heard some people like write off as a gimmick, um, which I, I I entirely disagree with. To be completely honest, like I did read a letterbox review that um had an interesting take that it like almost works as like a blueprint of a Hong Sang So film, like and um very much like shows his um process but also like um his concerns and um you know the out of focus thing is like sort of a thing about you know memory and vision coming together um through a collaborative process um you know it's treading the same ground a lot of his films have tread but um again it it just works for me (laughs) you know like obviously filmmakers understand what it's like to be um the filmmaker great insight jacob because they are all filmmakers but um no i think um he can really articulate um what it's like to you know make personal work that's like taking from your own memory and how that's how also filmmaking in general is just like a very vulnerable and um lonely place to be sometimes but he also does understand like the beauty of collaboration and um you know just how important that is um and also just how abstract the process of making stories is. You know, you can either take things from memory or you have, like, a vision that you need to, like, try to maintain from your head or something. Um, yeah, there's, like, a moment in the film where, like, another character, like, says, like, how the, he thinks there's, like, another world, but, like, that, that's almost connected to memory in a way. Um, I don't know, it's a bit hard to talk about it unless you're going along with it. But, um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a genuinely great film. Um, he's delivered again. You know, like, he is one of the modern greats. And, um, you know, I, I look forward to his nice. two to four new films next year, whatever they are. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what's your number eight? Uh, yeah. Um, my number eight film, um, it, it's a film that um, really actually, I think, deserves the intense acclaim that it's gotten over the past year. Like, it really does deserve that. Like, it's like almost like the most agreeably great film of the year. Um, 
And that is uh, Justin Trier's uh, Anatomy of a Fall. Palm Door winner this year. Um, and what it seems to be about on the surface is um, has this protagonist's husband killed himself or did she murder him? And that that doesn't sound like the most groundbreaking premise on paper, at least. Um, but um, in practice, um, piggybacking what I'm saying about in water about memory and and um, I guess the abstraction of reality in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it's a film very concerned with um how hard it is to you know, prove the truth um, when you weren't there to witness yeah. or hell, even if you were there to witness, like um, just how memory can cloud that to an extent and how we perceive our truths and how others perceive the truth um, is so often clouded by, um, you know, language differences, um, gender politics, um, storytelling in general. And, you know, even like, whose point of view because like everyone has such a different reality to one another and it is focusing on that a lot and um i i know it's a cliche um to talk about films that are you know ambiguous to an extent um but I do genuinely think, like, it's a film where the wrong question to ask at the end of this is, oh, so do you actually think she did kill him or did he kill himself? Because, like, it's very apparent by the end of the film that doesn't actually matter and it is about which realities we can construct and which realities we choose to believe in and what truths we believe in, um, even though we can't ever truly know sometimes. But also how, like, in a court system, that subjectivity actually is quite dangerous, um... But yeah, no, um, look, obviously Sandra Hewler is just absolutely phenomenal in this, like, I'm um, getting a lot of acclaim and award nominations and, um, yeah, she deserves it fully, um, mm-hmm. also has the best dog acting I've seen in quite a long time, um, yeah. Um, funnily enough, my number eight is also Anatomy of a Fall. Um, I think it's a great, um, d- like, courtroom drama where, like, unlike I've ever seen before, the French legal system is completely fucked. Um, It's all hearsay and argumentative and it's just so just ripe with um, just drama from just how this um, shithead prosecutor is just, like he's turning it into like a reality show for himself. And it's just um, like, and for a two and a half hour film of mainly people talking in rooms, um, obviously like the, um, talking is just potent from the, you know, like the subject matter of them, you know, her trying to, can, it's not even, she's, she's not even trying to prove her innocence. She's trying to convince people that she's, um, innocent. Like it's, there's no real proof presented. It's just kind of like a feeling that she, yeah, that's, yeah, like it's, there's no objectivity to this legal system and it's just, um, you know, like you can point to courtroom dramas, you know, like, um, I actually watched the, uh, K-Mutiny, uh, Court Martial that Freakin' is the last film. It didn't quite make my top 10. Um, but like, you know, so 
again, another military one, you, um, all the good men, you know, uh, a few good men, sorry, not all the good men, um, and, um, you know, like, my cousin Vinny, you know, like, these, we, we know what a courtroom drama looks like, but, like, France is just fucked, <laughs> like, I, like, it's just a fucked country, I don't understand how they, um, do it like, do it like that, um, and nobody's, like, um, revolted, because it's France, you know, that's what they do, um, but it's, yeah, uh, the child acting is phenomenal, uh, Sandra Hull is phenomenal, the, um, the shithead, um, prosecutor, like, he's, like, it's just great from everyone all around, like, everybody's talking about the hot lawyer, um, you know, like, it's all just great, great stuff, and, um, I think a worthy winner of the Palm Door, and, um, just, yeah, I really, really loved it. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think just piggybacking off of that, um, I think it's like, um, I think it's a film that if you're gonna, I, I can see it being a film that's going to be shown in film schools for the years to come and yeah. for good reason. It's like one of the most well directed seen I've seen in a long time. Mm. And also, um, because I saw this after our, not anatomy of full, um, our 2022 list on the podcast. Um, but no, I can't quite consider a 2023 film, but, um, yeah, St. Omer would have been like top four of last year for me. Um, if I was to relist it and probably would have been a top two for this year's honestly. And yeah, it's like another French courtroom drama. It's very different to anatomy of a fall. Um, but you know, I really do recommend it because it's really criminally underseen. Um, and it's brilliant, but it also, uh, does just show that the French legal system is a bit strange as well. Um, but no, it's, uh, it, it, French are good at making court <laughs> dramas at the moment. Um, my number seven is Todd Haynes, uh, May, December. Uh, I do want to shout out, uh, Dark Waters just while I'm here because, um, that didn't get any love when it came out and I'm happy one of his films. Criminally underrated film. Yeah. yeah. But I, I am very happy that, um, his 2023 film um, got its flowers. Uh, everyone's talking about it, but um, this is another one where uh, I just think it's such a great insight to um, the mind of people who think that they're um, they're understanding someone's story, but it's for their own personal gain. Where uh, um, it's really an indictment on uh, Hollywood actors in general. So it's no surprise that it didn't get any of the SAG nominations that people thought it was going to. But um, it's really, it, it's obviously the, um, is like loosely based on a real life story. And like Julianne Moore's character is uh, a manipul- like such a manipulative, um, like sociopath um, and pedophile. Uh, but um it really like leaned into uh, how Natalie Portman's character just is also a bit of a um, just uh, it's oh, she's, she's kind of uh, like, she's not acting morally. Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's almost like psych, psych uh, like psychopathic in like in narcissistic in a way that it's just um, it's just kind of an indictment of like the way that um, Hollywood tells those stories, like especially one that's based on real life. And, um, 
it's like it's, everyone talks about that, like, you know, final scene um, where it just everything that happened in the film prior was all for this trashy Netflix, like Jeffrey Dahmer show type um, production. And it's just kind of, uh, um, it's really like potent in that way. And um, I do want to give out a shout out to like all the acting, Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore are great, but you know, Charles Melton, um, Riverdale alum, um, you know, really making a name for himself here. And I, I hope to see him in a lot more stuff. Um, moving forward, you know, like, uh, he was great and, um, I think delivers a performance, like, when you, when you're standing up, you know, against, like, um, an Oscar winner, like, um, Natalie Portman and then, uh, has Julianne Moore ever won an Oscar? I don't know. But, yeah, like, she has. She has yeah. she, he's up against these two Oscar winners and, um, just, like, you know, holds his own and, like, you know, like, I, I think it surpasses them and, like, really showed, um, what he had in him and um i haven't seen riverdale so i he might be giving a phenomenal performance i have no idea about but like he's just um he was fantastic in it uh jacob what's your number six my number six i'm oh, I mean, your number I'm seven sorry, sorry my number seven of the year um is an incredibly monumental film i still think it's um severely underrated despite like the intense acclaim and um you know, it's nominated for like several Oscars and, you know, might win a couple. But man, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. I'm surprised it's as low as seven on my list, to be honest. But yeah, like one of Scorsese's best modern works and honestly, probably one of his best works in general. You know, it's like a monument to it's like the craft of filmmaking and Scorsese and it has like several of the best performances in recent memory, but um. It's also just a truly devastating and horrifying film about, like, a horrible tragedy. And it also reckons with itself about, um, about like, the stories, like, about us telling true life events like this in film. And um, it, it, is that ethical? You know, which um, a lot has been said about it and um, a lot will continue to be said about it. But, um, no, it's, um, it's phenomenal and... I almost feel a bit redundant speaking about it because, I'm, again, unless I go long, I just feel like I've, I'm only saying things that everyone else has already said to, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my number six is um, Kelly Reichardt's Showing Up, which was a film I really needed at the time um, when I saw it, and I'll be thankful for it. I saw it in the middle of last year. Um, you know, and um, as anyone who's seen a Kelly Reichardt film can probably attest to... Um, She's a great filmmaker, probably besides her film students who she's apparently, um, you know, can, can be a little harsh too, but like, honestly, a lot of them sounded quite fair, to be honest, you know, sorry. Um, yeah, being an artist is hard, as I'm sure a lot of um, artists have and will continue to say throughout history, but it is. It's hard because you do, because like you can invest so much of yourself and your well-being and emotions into your work and that can be quite thankless a lot of the time and almost always is that and when your work um isn't you know following a popular aesthetic at the moment and um you see a lot of others who are you know not to demean them but um you can get uh jealous i'm sorry to say 
I mean, obviously, because it is a Kelly Reichardt film, um, you know, it's really well performed, um, not just by Michelle Williams, but Hong Chow and Andre 3000, who's um, totally in this element of, like, you know, a, like a, an actual real artistic community of sorts. And, like, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised to hear that he was doing a flute album after this, to be completely honest. But, um, yeah, no, um, I, I think it also just... Ha- it, 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 it's it holds like a genuine sadness, but also like understated about it that I think is really authentic and spoke to me quite a lot. And yeah, like um, it it might have gotten to its laurels a lot, but um, I still feel like people haven't grappled with just how great it is. I also hope that um, how do I say it's like Kelly Rowcutt's okay because like you know the movie is like while it does end on a bittersweet note. It does hold a true sadness and loneliness, and um, yeah, like I think it also works a lot because the jealousy, like I think it's, it's it's like not entirely like justified jealousy, like you know I you understand why she is, but um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, rambling on um, but yeah, it's a great film, just truly great. Ben, what's your number six of the year? My number six is a lovely little film called The Holdovers. Um, you know, uh, I think it's very simple in its, on the surface, but when it comes down to those, you know, like the moments with Paul Giamatti at the Christmas party and, um, the moment at the hospital and, you know, like just quick little things like the, um, what, what's the cherry dish? cherries ella whatever um in the car park with um the three um main characters just like yeah. these small moments really just um just spring to mind um when you're thinking about like the movie as a whole it is simple it's sweet but these the way these characters bond over the two weeks that it's set it's um it's, I think it's more than the sum of its parts, you know, like obviously Paul Giamatti is um, great in it. Um, I, he will never tell us how, what, how he did that with his eyes, but like, it's great. Um, you know, Divine uh, Joy Randolph, you know, like I hope she wins Best Supporting Actress, you know, like she's um, great in the entire film, even the parts that, you know, like aren't talked about as much, just like um, she's just fantastic and um a great on-screen presence and then like obviously Dominic Sessa like for his first film role to like hold his own um against Paul Giamatti in that way and just like be so just instantly um he, he feels like he was like ripped out of like um you know like like a film from the 70s you know like he's just um He's an unbelievable find, and I hope, you know, like, he's getting a lot of calls from um, casting directors right now, like, because for, for someone to do that in their first major film role, like, it's unbelievable, just great all around, and um, it's funny, it's sweet, um, it's, you know, like, it's, it hits the drama notes um, pretty, like, perfectly you know like it doesn't um i yeah i I just think it's subdued but like because it's so simple 
it really just allows all those moments to shine. And, um, yeah, like, I think it's going to be, uh, a Christmas, um, a Christmas time film for me, like every, not every year, but every few years, you know, like it's going to be like a nice little cozy thing to sit down with. Yeah, no, um, it, it didn't quite reach my top 10, you know, I've, I've saying that a lot already, but yeah, no, it's, it's a testament to like, um, like good traditional screenwriting and directing in like a storytelling sense. Yeah. Like, um, and I don't mean that as like, it's not doing something like somewhat new and substantial within it, but, um, no, it's like a testament to like, uh, you know, this is good old fashioned writing and yeah. we should sometimes take some elements from that in one cinema. Nice. Um, my number five is one that you've already talked about. It's Godzilla minus one. Um, Everything you said, you know, like just uh, blockbuster filmmaking uh, at its, uh, you know, like at its peak, I think like it's just the humanity shown in the film is uh, outstanding. Like uh, a little quick little story is um, I was actually in Japan at the time of the release um, of the film. We actually uh, they had like this big Godzilla display. Um, that was like hung up behind like a skyscraper in Tokyo. Um, and we were, we were walking down the street and it was actually being trucked next to us. Um, so we're like, we, Godzilla was like right next to us, like this giant statue of him. We're like, oh my God, they, there he is. And it was like a nice little moment for us. But, um, it, it came out the last day that we were in Japan. And before we went, I said to my friends, I was like, oh, It'd be cool if we got to see the Godzilla movie the day it comes out in Japan. Like, obviously, we won't have subtitles or anything. But then we thought, oh, it's a Godzilla movie. Do we really need to know what's going on with the human characters? And we didn't have time to see it while we were over there. So I was, I was actually kind of relieved, like, when I saw it, that we didn't see it in Japan. Because um, the meat of the movie really is the human drama, which, like, you know, is kind of like, you know, not what you usually expect when you think of Godzilla and um, just like the character dynamics and the, um, you know, it's where all the meters like, and the comments on PTSD and the, um, and just how the public really um, reacts to, you know, like post-World War II and the trauma that they have from it. Like it's, um, I can't really think of another, um, Godzilla movie that is a period piece. And I think it, it just really, um, it worked so well for me. And, um, I just, yeah, I'm over the moon with like how much, um, it really connected to me and, uh, yeah, I really hope there's a, a nice physical release of it in Australia at some point. Um, yeah, I'm definitely sure there will be, um, yeah, yeah definitely, um, is it my turn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my number five is a film that's been discussed previously, made December, Todd Haynes, um, yep, um, nice. a film that I think keeps on growing on me, like, the longer I sit on it, and, um, look, every time I watch a Todd Haynes films, even the ones that I'm not like, that they, they don't, like, quite hit as majorly as other ones, I'm always taken aback, like, shit, is this, like, one of the greatest directors alive and working? And honestly, probably, yeah, because, you know, 
he's always like he's always like kind of like never quite in the mainstream in a way never quite gotten the awards or even you know the festival award laurels that he's deserved over the time and over the decades honestly but like damn um people have been concerned about with this and dark waters being quote unquote like higher job directive higher jobs for him but if these are directed for higher jobs then he's on a fucking other level man like yeah um everything ben has said before completely agreed i think it's an important work but it's also one that's like not afraid to be a bit um ethically you know gray which like I, I think this film needs to be and it's hard because um it's just like you know for those who don't know the film mm. you know it's um for those who don't know the film it's about you know like loosely inspired by a major December relationship that happened in real life and one of the first things you see in that film is a bag of shit is, um, you know, pretty much put on the front door of, you know, the May-December couple's house. But it's... Yeah. But, like, it makes a point that it's not, like, the, you know, the the, the groomer who has to dispose of it, but it, in fact, it's, yeah. like, the younger man. To me, that's almost... It, it, it's not just about actors, in my opinion. It's also about how we as a society think we're helping... Like, we think we're helping victims, but we can very often do that in a way that aren't helping them at all. And, um, yeah, no, it's it's like a... It's a really difficult concept. And, um, you know, I know there's been a bit of controversy about, you know, whether it's a comedy or not. And, look, I, I, th- I think there's a lot of... Um, I think a lot of the power in the film is that it is uncomfortably funny in a way, but it's in a way that like doesn't detract from the seriousness of the issue. It does like, um, yeah. you know, there, there's a scene where like, um, it's like an important scene with Julianne Moore's character where she's like asked, um, don't you like regret or dwell on these things? And she's just like, no, I don't think about the past. Like just, full straight face without flinching and it's it's uncomfortable honestly a lot of people like throwing stones at it for being unethical i don't see throwing as many stones or more unethical biopics i i don't see it as any less or more bi- ethical than a lot of the biopics that like people do tend to get behind like you know it's like telling the story of a real life situation it's always hard, but um, there's always going to be some elements that are quite ethically um dubious. But you know, no way we have to try and we have to try and do our best to be ethical. But at the same time, the nature of storytelling is always going yeah. to be inspired by history, and that often involves real people in a way, directly or indirectly. I don't think a film is particularly saying like, "Hey, yeah, these biopics are great." And, um, you know, we're also great, but, you know, I think it kind of means the opposite. Like, obviously, Phil Nally Fortman's character is doing it just seems to be this horrible, exploitative film, but I don't know. It, it really is about a, lo- a lot of moral issues. It's heartbreaking. It, it's darkly funny in a way that I think really fits. And, um, yeah, I think it just ri- rides just on the level of being sensationalist 
enough in a way i think it's really more of a like knowing and vital piece of work than a lot of the people throwing stones at it think it is but again it's like it's a completely okay to dislike the film for whatever reason and yeah i just don't i don't know I, i i think it's a major vital work in all honesty um, yeah, so my number four is one of the most um, innovative films I've seen in quite a long time. It's not a film I've seen discussed on a lot of best of lists, and I think it is because it has a sort of, like, not had a big release anywhere. So, you know, maybe maybe it classifies as a 2024 film, but at the same time, this country did submit it as their uh, best international feature film. Um, eligible nomination for the Oscars. So, yeah, um, it's Anna Hint's feature debut and incredibly innovative documentary, um, Smoke, Sauna, Sisterhood, which is an Estonian documentary about um, a sort of, like, generationally generationally handed down thing where, like, um, women go to a uh, smoky sauna house and to, like, almost, like, cleanse themselves from, like... um, with like health and aches and also a lot of the baggage they hold emotionally. And it sounds very new agey, but it's actually like one of the more sincere human and atmospheric, like, uh, I'm going to be honest. I almost like feel like choking up speaking about it because it's one of like, um, Yeah, I don't want to talk about too much because people haven't seen the film and it's about a lot of, like, you know, very intense, triggering things. But when it is um, available, like, yeah, please watch the film. Um, it's not an easy watch, but it's... I think it's I think it's fair to say it's vital film. Smoke, Sauna, Sisterhood. Phenomenal film. Um, ben, what's your number four? My number four of the year, um, I think... Uh, at the time of release, everybody was over the moon. It was released in March. Um, so I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle by the end of the year. But when we want to talk about um, action filmmaking, can you look anywhere other than John Wick Chapter 4? It is unbelievable. Like, for a film to run for 2 hours and 45 minutes and me to, like, just... No, no, keep falling down the stairs and running back up. Keep going back down. I want you... I, I could have watched it for four and a half hours. It is just amazing. For, oh, actually, not from beginning. Because that little horse chase at the beginning, I was a little bit worried. But after that, it just picks up into um, one of the most impressive feats of just filmmaking. Just of any kind. Just like visually. Um, just like in its... Um, you know, like just with characters that we've been with for three films already, just, um, I, I, it's astounding. Like, you know, um, Chaz Tehelsky, Keanu Reeves, um, you know, like everybody involved with the film should just be completely just like worried that they'll never be able to achieve something like that ever again. (laughs) Like, cause it's, um, I I would think that I have nowhere to go from there, but like they've uh, they proved us wrong with um 
that, you know, like, where do you go from John Wick Chapter 1? John Wick Chapter 2, where do you go from John Wick Chapter 2? You know, like, they, they just kept, you know, like, it's all about the escalation in this franchise. And um, it's, I, I thought that they couldn't escalate it and, and they found ways to. And, like, just the create the creativity behind that is unbelievable. And, um, yeah, like, it's just going to be, like, just something that you have a spare Sunday afternoon and it's just going to, um, I think it's just going to hit for the rest of my life. Like, just such a fucking phenomenal piece of just technical perfection. I love it so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was my last omission from the list. Like, and that really fucking <laughs> hurt, man. Like, I tried to, I tried for hours to find a way to fit it in while still being truthful, but it's just like, nah, sadly it just wasn't. But in all honesty, like, I, I do want to speak on this film a lot. Like, for the longest time, this was hell even in my top five, I mean, for most of the year. But, but when the back end of the year comes and there's so many heavy hitters, like, Sadly, that one was the one that really slid. Like I said in my letterbooks review, like this is like the film is equivalent to like Michelangelo painting the ceiling of the Sixteen Chapel, <laughs> and I still feel that way. Like fucking hell, man! Like what a film! Like just uh, absolutely gobsmacking. Like um, to have like your final hour of the film be like, hey, what if we just had like four of the greatest action set pieces of all time and just smush them together, like? Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, just the that and the entire film is also like it's a testament to like filmmaking, man. Like not just directing, just like everything that goes into a film, just everyone operating at their highest level. I honestly don't think I've been this hurt by omitting a film from my top ten ever. I mean like Sorry, Ben, what's your number three of the year? Um, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um one of the most uh, the biggest indictments of humanity in general. And then on top of that, an indictment of um, the United States as an institution and as, of just, um, you know, colonialism and just um, how there's just so much evil in everybody's hearts in this film. Like, well, not everybody, but like the main people that we're following throughout the film are just the most despicable real life people you've I've like I, I can't think of like just more horrendous just um malintent oh like obviously you know like history is full of it but like just for it to be displayed in this way um it's just horrifying that like this happened a hundred years ago and it's just not talked about. Like it's, um, the film features the, um, Tulsa massacre, um, like, uh, at one point, like it's talked about, um, again, like I didn't, I didn't learn about that until Watchmen in 2019. Like, you know, like it's just this, it's, the evil displayed and um, it's just 
I want to watch it again, but I think it's just going to be such a tough watch, just knowing more and, um, you know, like, again, like everybody involved, the acting um, through and through is just unbelievable. Martin Scorsese, again, just, um, it just seems like he, he just, it just comes naturally to him. He knows how to put that together and display it in a way that, um, you know, like it's, for someone to put that out at 82 years old, you know, like he's, uh, you know, like a master and, um, I want him to live forever, but you know, like he knows he's not going to. And I, uh, I think it's just gonna stand the test of time. It's just like, um, one of his best. And, um, I think it's just phenomenal. Um, and then to also mention the way that he frames the ending, um, putting himself on screen to, you know, like not make himself culpable, but like to acknowledge that, like the way that this type of story has been told in the last, um, seven, eight, nine, ten years, like it has just been, um, co-opted by people just looking for, um, an easy story to tell like stuff that's already like full of drama and they just putting it on screen to like just churning all that kind of shit out and then to put himself up there and then, you know, say like, this is like, this is a story that I'm telling and I might not be the person that should have told it, but this is me putting my face and saying, this is what, this is how I feel about the story as I heard it and to, yeah, like really take responsibility for his role in that, um, you know, pipeline and, uh, just great through and through. Jacob, what's your number three? My number three of the year is, um, Oppenheimer. Yeah. I mean, speaking of just horrifying stories about some of the worst humanity in American society, I mean, yeah. Look, I mean, I think the little last film we talked about on this podcast before these best of lists was this film, and listening to that, I, yeah, I think it's Nolan's masterpiece. Um, from a filmmaking standpoint, his most ambitious and well played work, but like fucking hell, um, it's just a genuinely propulsive and horrifying tragedy, like um. Um, I don't really want to spend too much time talking about it as we already have on the podcast before for quite a while, but I'm sure that you'll also have some more to say about it in the next few entries. But um, yeah, just, um, I don't know, man, just, it's just a lot of film. It's just a lot of film. And also just like, I guess we can, we can talk about that. We haven't talked about before when we first reviewed it, just how much of a fucking like phenomenal like life-saving moment for like this sort of film to make this much money for the film industry like and you know i know it had to be attached to the whole barbenheimer thing and but i don't know it feels like the film had truly taken a life of its own beyond just being that the film that came out next to barbie as a meme yeah it's it's a phenomenal film um i think controversially that i don't think people want to admit i think um Barbie was more boosted by Oppenheimer than vice versa. 
but you know that's just uh i feel like box office wise oppenheimer was initially boosted by barbie the most but i think when we look back at both of these films we're going to speak about barbie as a cultural phenomenon that was of this that particular moment but oppenheimer is probably going to be it's going to be spoken in regard to in that regard to an extent but i think it's or the way people speak about it it's just like yeah it's like one of the titans of studio filmmaking already and look i nolan i've been up and down on you know throughout your entire filmography sometimes but you know kudos man you've made three genuinely great films in a row now so like you're one of our best mate now maybe and I'm glad that you've seen success like this and my number two of the year. Wait, wait, wait. Is it my number two of the year? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Um, 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 TikTok. Um, uh-huh. what better symptom of our modern culture? I say, as I had my uh, third best TV show of the year was a tiktok series but i digress short um short little flashes of aesthetics but um ultimately hollow and all surface um this is just a long way to say that the wes anderson tiktok trend fucking sucked do you don't you remember that ben like what the, the Wes Anderson TikTok challenge? Oh, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> I just I got a message from no you saying, idea where are you going. okay? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you unfortunately remember the Wes Anderson TikTok challenge, um, you know, which yeah. people were just uh, posing symmetrical colors, sorry, symmetrical framing, pastel colors, everything so twee. Was Anderson so twee? He's so pretty. He's so aesthetic. Yeah. And this was all happening in the lead up to his new feature film, which most of audiences actually quite disliked. Yeah, it got tepid reception from critics for the most part. But I believe that Asteroid City is Wes Anderson's most revolutionary film this late into his career. And also his masterpiece. I know that a lot of people don't feel the same way about that as I do, but um, I, I feel that the TikTok trend coming alongside this one specifically was almost too perfect. TikTok, as it usually tends to do with art, kind of reduces his films to, um, oh, look how pretty and twee everything is. Oh, lovely. But um, as people often do, besides those who do know what they're talking about, um, the thing about Wes Anderson is his films are very uniquely melancholy, like genuinely, palpably melancholy. Asteroid City is a film that I feel like um, challenges Wes Anderson quite a bit, actually. Still barely know how to actually describe this film. So how do I say it? It's like... um, it's a film about needing to really dive into these deep feelings of grief and loneliness and all, all that ensues with it as a 
not just a human, but also as a storyteller. But with that, you have to be prepared to not get the answers you're looking for. I don't know if I'm just speaking nonsense now, sorry, but um, uh, I, I did have quite a bit of personal grief this year in terms of um, losing people. Um, and yeah, um, it, it almost puts Wes Anderson's, like really shines a light why Wes Anderson is so concerned with this, you know, symmetrical, carefully laid out, you know, very purposefully done visual style through that perspective, which he's done for a while, but, um, here it's, um, it's like his way of trying to make sense of the world that he can't make sense of because no, no one can really. Um, it, it's a mystifying film and, um, how do I say? Like, um, I know I've said this a lot, but like, um, it's a film that I feel like I can't really talk about because so much of it is about what can't really be expressed with words and, and also just the unknown in general. But, um, also just diving into that aspect of the world, but also your own emotions as a storyteller and um, being prepared to not get any answers. And if any answers, not the ones you're looking for. Um, but it's, but it's also a film that almost defiantly ends with so much hope and a testament to why we actually do need storytelling as humans. But not just for the creators of said stories and art, but like the people who engage with them or participate with them in any degree. And, you know, art is such an important and underrated way for us to explore. You know, it's a necessary part of being human, I honestly feel. You Sorry, are I'm good. probably waffling by now, but... um. We do need to delve into the great unknown, as they call it, um, to dive into our emotions, but also to be prepared to not get the answers we want. Uh, yeah, but it's obviously about human, but also like being about being a storyteller and also telling your, but also other stories and the importance of continually telling them. Um, but yeah, I mean. What a film. It, 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 it just missed out on that number one spot by the closest margin. But yeah, I think it's Wes Anderson's masterpiece and I think we're um, very lucky to have him in cinema right now. All while also entering another late career prime, really. Which is also probably his most abrasive and um, not afraid to you know turn some people off. Which I think is um, necessary because, you know, he's always programmed similar things, but it's about really diving into the unknown now. And I think that's really valuable in an age where cinema is increasingly very literal. Sorry, okay. What's your number two, Ben? My number two of the year is a little film called Bo is Afraid. Now, Bo is Afraid is, um, I think, controversial um, as a film that people like. Uh, but to me, uh, we did an, our review on it. Um, I think it's just uh, outstandingly creative and um, 
personal and hilarious and scary and just plays into um, someone's own inner fears and just uh, commenting on just like uh, nature versus nurture and like how just difficult the world can be differently for people and um, just and just the anxieties of being alive in modern society. Uh, it's so fucking funny to me um, throughout the entire thing. I sympathize with people um, who think that the three hour runtime is kind of a difficult watch because it um, is episodic in its structure. Um, I understand why that would be frustrating to people, but uh, I find each episode to be it's um, just unique enough and interesting enough that it it pulls me through the like the entire way where I'm just I I'm like oh okay that that episode ended but this is a good one as well I'm I'm so. I, I just love the entire thing all the way through. Um, I want to give a shout out to Nathan Lane for being the funniest person of the year um, in that film. And uh, I just, I, I, I love it all the way through. Um, again, I don't want to talk about it too much because I talked about it so much earlier in the year. But, um, sorry, last year. But uh, yeah, my number two of the year, but I was afraid. Uh, love it so much. Um, and everybody has their opinion on it, you know, like, I don't think I'm changing anyone's mind. <laughs> no, no, 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, What's your number one? My number one film of the year. Um, take a guess. That's right, it's Barbie. No, um, it's Oppenheimer. Uh, I, you know, get, you already talked about it, uh, just, um, Christopher Nolan, you know, like, just, Whether you, whether or not you want to debate whether he is one of the best filmmakers working because people like to, or like to be weird about him, um, I don't think anyone can argue. Nobody but Christopher Nolan could have made a movie like this, um, in terms of getting it funded, um, or, but also just like even just having the mind to structure it like that, to focus on the things that he did, to um, frame things the way that he did. I think it's just phenomenal from beginning to end. It's, uh, I think it's his masterpiece. Um, I I think he's, again, like you're talking about Wes Anderson entering a new phase of his career. I feel like, you know, like that's what happened here with Nolan. Um, he's just, uh, at the top of his game and, um, I think it, his last three films, um, signified a kind of change in demeanor from him, but like, I, yeah, I, I'm an Oppenheimer just stan all the way. Like, I, it's, I like left my first viewing of it being like, how do you even begin writing something like that? Like, and just thinking about the editing process and just um it's just nothing but admiration for the craft in that one for me yeah um i don't know how much more i can say about it than i already did but like yeah it's just uh 
I think the best film of the year. Um, and just probably the best film of its type that we're going to get for a very long time. Um, yeah. yeah. Just phenomenal work. Yeah. Jacob. Agreed, man. What's your uh, number one film of the year? I'm interested. What do you think it is? Yeah, I can't. Now I have to think about what you already talked about. Um, <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. Yeah, I know. Like genuinely, it'll, like my brain's just like running on fumes at this point. <laughs> like, Asteroid City was very close to being my number one, and to me, that is because it's about storytelling and humanity, and something I relate to very deeply. This one's a bit less personal, but it's still human in a very universal way. So my favorite film of the year is Dehumany. Corpus Fabrica. I th- I think I called it from the get-go when I saw it in July, the greatest film I've seen in years. <laughs> and I stand by that. So, uh, yeah. Um, okay. I don't know how many of you have heard about this, this film. I've, I've been trying to try the flag f- for it for some time now, but, you know, it's... It's a documentary that um, doesn't exactly have the most inviting premise to it. Pretty much, it's a documentary about these uh, French hospitals, French and Switzerland hospitals that are... We're looking in and having cameras inside the bodies during surgeries and operations and... um, Yeah, that's, that's how it's been sold as... But Lucien Castang-Taylor and Verena Paravel are two filmmakers who I've had a very interesting uh, trajectory with their three main feature films. I haven't seen A Sweetgrass, unfortunately, but Leviathan 2012 is, I think, is one of the greatest documentaries I've ever watched. Cannabar, I think, was actually one of my worst films of 2017. Like, I got the intention behind it, I just found it to be a really cynical look into such a horrible person, and that's the point, but I just I just really despise it, to be completely honest. But now, this we've had, we've had almost what feels like not only a conclu- like a natural conclusion to where they've been heading with these themes over the past three films, but also cinema itself like a cinema's big like beginnings is very it's very closely tied to human biology funnily enough and um chronophotography where people like um jean-natiel marie and you know the moy bridges they had a system like called chronophotography which just did like observe human emotion throughout concurrent pictures of movement and um many would consider that to be the quote-unquote start of cinema but now um hundred over hundred years later like um sorry we, we we have these little cameras that can go inside the body now you know for operational purposes but in this purpose just going inside the body and here we have some a film that sounds very scientific 
And it is. But it's a film about how abstract our body is to look at. It's about healthcare systems, you know. People, these people who are like sort of guardians of of humanity in a way, they help us give birth and are born. They um, help us not die. They take things out of our bodies that shouldn't be there. They put things in that need to be in there. And the entire film is like riding the line between the scientific and the vulgar and like the majestic and just like the the horror almost. There's a scene in the film where um, we see a penis. Um, <laughs> we see a penis that's um, being operated on through the urethra. And the people operating on him are just like very, ca- like very casually speaking, like about Airbnbs while they're like drilling into this guy's urethra. Like there's a casualness to it, which to like the normal person is such like an intense and like almost vulgar and uncomfortable thing to look at, if not like straight up unthinkable. But to them, it's just like normal life. But it's also like hard to talk about the film without talking about the final shot of the film, which is a long take going through a party of doctors um, set to uh, Blue Monday by New Order, which I think it's fair to say is one of the more um, overused needle drops in recent cinema. But here, but here, it's almost like um, it's almost like changed the meaning of the song for me, and um, it's just done in a way that. That's like so much more haunting to me. Um, I don't know if I'm just rusty at podcasting or if I just can't really speak about this film at all. But like, it, it's genuinely ineffable. Like, um, it, it's honestly kind of life changing in a way. Like, has really like affected the way that I see our bodies, and like the way you see that stuff being done to the body. It like changes the way you see it. Like, and like, look, yeah, like a lot of the film is quite disgusting and hard to watch. But like, the film doesn't like revel too much in like the whole shock value element of it surprisingly um which i was worried about after canaba that said there are like some sequences that are borderline impossible to watch without wincing there's a sequence where they're like readjusting like a kid's spine with like nails and like metal bolts and yeah it's a lot i'm sure i'm not doing a good job at selling this film to a lot of people um but you know a lot of it is just operations and um quite hard to watch but there's also, like, long extended sequences of, like, security guards walking through, like, abstractly dark tunnels. For a film that's, like, named after, like, such a seminal and popular biological text, De Himne Corpus Fabrica, it's surprisingly not as academic as you would assume it would be. Like, it's very spiritual. It's, it's like... It's like towing the line between like disgustingness, but also like beauty and wonder. Like there's a part where they're taking out a prostate, like an enlarged prostate. And the camera is zoomed in a bit too much for the surgeon. So the surgeon asks, can you zoom out? It's a bit abstract. And we're talking about a medical professional looking inside the body. Like it's this, it's this very matter of fact thing that has its own systems, but like, it's also amazing and maze-like and somehow, like, mystical to even, like, spiritually and physically, it's a very human film. I mean, I could, I could write a thesis on, like, 
even just one scene of this film, really. Well, I hope our listener um, <laughs> decides to watch it because, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know if that's my uh, priority of what I want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should watch it, bro, but it is a lot. No, I know I probably should, <laughs> but it's just like um, on a Monday night, maybe no. not. Um <laughs> Anyway, uh, 2023, what a year, what a year. Um, is there anything in 2024 we're looking forward to? 2024, um, there is apparently a new worst ethical film coming out. So if that is this year. Oh, really? That's soon after Memoria? Yeah, he shot another one with Tilda Swinton. Um, I forgot where. Oh, really? But um, yeah, if that's this year, then absolutely that's my most anticipated. Um, what else is coming out in 2024? I, I feel like a lot of the films that I like um, don't get announced in advance. Like, we pretty much know of their existence after they're filmed, if anything. Well, I just think we're about to feel the impact of the strike. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, there's, there's stuff that was already in production, you know, like Gladiator 2, um, Dunes coming out, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Um, uh you're looking forward to the Joker musical? I actually am. I just want to see what the fuck it is, honestly. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think the big one for me is, um, you know, I will uh, ride for Robert Eggers, so I hope his Nosferatu is good. Oh, of course. There's also Furiosa. Um, oh, God. How did I forget Furiosa? How did I forget um, that, honestly? Um, sorry, I'm just yeah. typing up 2024 films now. Uh, we got Twisters, um, directed by Lee yeah. Isaac Chung. Which is very depressing. Wait, Isaac Chong, are you serious? Yeah. The guy who directed Minari is making a Twisted movie. Okay, well, Jesus Christ. Can I just say, ha- like, I, I probably ranted about this at some point. Michael Sonoski makes Pig and they're like, hey, do A Quiet Place. Fucking, I hate this pipeline. You make Minari and then they choose, oh, you should make fucking Twisters. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Dry Two Forces of Nature, that comes out in February. A big one for us Aussies. We're getting a new Barry Jenkins film. That's a Lion King prequel, though. The fucking Lion King. Jesus, Jesus man. Um, yeah, now it just made me sad. Jesus Christ. But as usual, the film I'm looking the most forward to in 2024 is the film I haven't heard of yet. <laughs> anyway thank you for listening to us this guy stinks um, i'm sorry <laughs> oh sorry actually no. the best film of 2024 is Nightwalks, directed by me sorry okay let's maybe cut that one um sorry <laughs> <laughs> self-promotion like that's kind of cringe bro sorry bro mm, goodbye right, goodbye